Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Joe, what do you know about diamonds? I don't know much about diamonds. I'm more of a caravan guy myself. Just kind of throwing things out there. Really like them on, uh, I think, shiny. Yeah, they do it with, uh, do with, uh, do with uh, carrots and the radishes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't want no I got no fucking wheels. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, that was, uh, yeah, if you if you haven't figured out we're talking about Snatch right now, uh, you you have missed out on a, on a serious classic. <laughs> can, but, you, can you just believe uh, that for a second, though? Think about it. Mm-hmm. This came out 22 years ago. <laughs> right at the turn of the century. Can, can you oh, believe man. that, Joe? Seriously. Mm-hmm. Snatch came out 22 years ago. I, I It boggles the mind. Yeah, it's, it's just, where does the time go? I mean, back then, we were what? Good God. 24 what are we doing with our lives being in college and stuff no no you're 22 we're not in college we're not that old holy crap joe i've done my math very poorly i adjusted for inflation immediately that's what happened (laughs) (laughs) holy shit joe needs his prune juice over there man (laughs) he is not oh man yeah 14 definitely still in high school when this movie came out not in college Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, dude, you're like all of a sudden you mm-hmm. became the Petridge Farm guy over there. Yeah, as yeah. soon as it left my mouth, I'm like, no, 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 this wasn't right. I definitely remember seeing this before I could drive. Uh, so a little off. <laughs> we're a almost, little off. <laughs> we're almost to the point where we should be like, do you remember when Guy Ritchie first started making movies? We remember. I, <laughs> yes, it was before he used the acronyms. To say he was a secret agent from Uncle. Yes, this is the early days of the nation. <laughs> Holy shit. Twenty yeah, the uh, year is two thousand. Mm-hmm. And a, a young man named Guy Ritchie, who was kind of flirting with Madonna. I don't know if he quite married her yet. I think he was pretty close. Yeah, I I could not say. The the affairs of celebrities were were not known to me at this time as I was still trying to figure out girls my age, let alone what the popular ones were doing. Well, that's what was funny about this was mm-hmm. he was dating her for a bit, marries her, right? And this okay. was when she started using that fake British accent that everybody was like, "Where did that, that come from?" Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's no, I, don't, I had a this. friend. I had a friend who did something like that once too. Like he just started using an accent out of nowhere. He was talking about how like he uh, he doesn't dance, and it's like, what? what? Say dance, like you you can. That's not how you talk, man. What are you doing? <laughs> yes. Say He's we, like, I've always had an we, accent. No, 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 you haven't. 
Wheat yeah. thins. All right. Wheat. Yes. Say wheat. Wheat thins. <laughs> wheat thins. Say wheat thins. Wheat thins. Wheat thins. Oh man. Yeah. This this was from that era of forgotten pop culture. Mm-hmm. I feel like folks have blown past it because we've talked about Y2K on this show before, mm-hmm. right? And how the end of the the previous millennia was epic. We had tapered jeans and mm-hmm. I can't remember a whole lot else other than the tapered jeans. That's kind of sticking. I mean, they right they were frosted tips. Um Right. backwards uh red yankees hats uh yes. i think those were all big at that time and and heist movies were pretty big at this time because this yeah. is around the times like you had like the the italian job reboot uh was i guess was would we consider that a reboot they didn't really like decide to like start the franchise over it was just well, a uh, it's a it's a remake at minimum there yeah. you go yeah that's what i was thinking yeah. rebag not reboot but yeah no we we had a, a handful of heist movies coming out and which is also weird. Like me thinking of this movie, like I thought of it as a heist movie when I first saw it. And I don't know why, because it's not really, yeah. it has heist movie esque qualities to it, yeah. but it's not like oceans 11 necessarily. It's, it's an ensemble movie that feels mm-hmm. like some of these other films. Now I'll, I'll put it this way. When I first saw snatch, I wasn't thinking about it in terms of a heist movie, but I get the vibe though. Like I get what you're saying when Mm -hmm. I watched like oceans 11 and some of these other, you know, crime movies after this, I did start to look at the box art for it and kind of go, yeah, I think if I saw this, I would misconstrue it as that. Right. And yeah. And I think, uh, I think like the biggest thing that gets me thinking heist is definitely you've got that. um, They never say like, let's get a team together, but usually after, you know, they, someone says, let's get a team together. You have that small montage where yeah. it does a quick freeze frame on a character and then their name pops up. And that's like a, that was like a heist movie thing. It's like a heist movie trope. And this movie does do that. And that's but where like, I think I, yeah, but that's where this, it stops. That's where this movie, stops. this movie mm-hmm. kind of brought that style though. That's the thing. Like the, the whole mm-hmm. putting the title cards with the characters names in the beginning that's kind of an, a throwback to some of these older spy like TV shows. Some of these older spy movies even do that. So it, it was an interesting choice to do that for Snatch because obviously Snatch isn't a spy movie, but it you know. definitely has a lot of style though. That that stylistic beginning with those cards was pretty different for for two thousand man, and it stands up really yeah. well. You know, twenty mm-hmm. years later. Yeah, and it's almost like. Like the rest of like the uh, the cinematography in here, like I I wanted to compare it to Clerks and the idea that like the original Clerks Clerks is you have it black and white, it looks like it's shot on a budget, and yeah. this yeah. film has kind of a gritty graininess to it, where it doesn't look like obviously like it doesn't look like it's it's filmed and shot on like home video, uh, or like again like the full like Kevin Smith like Clerks thing, but it kind of does this weird thing where like it feels real as you're watching it. And exactly. It fits the mood of the movie so well that it just feels real. And I think that's one of, one of the many redeeming qualities of this movie. I love that you say that because it leads right into the, one of the things here in the very beginning of the movie. And that's that you're actually watching the intro of the film carried through security footage. Like you're Mm -hmm. sitting in the security room for what's essentially like a diamond trading organization right yeah start the movie mm-hmm. with that and it starts with a couple of rabbis walking into this facility which 
Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I assume that there is a bris that was supposed to happen that didn't end up happening from what I could tell. I believe so. And it, I think kind of like this Guy Ritchie banter that he's kind of known for putting his movies is something you also see kind of unfold here. Like the, the dialogue is intriguing, but completely unrelated to everything else going on. But it not, fits what the characters are doing. I was going to say, not necessarily. That's actually yeah. something about mm-hmm. this intro that I thought was really funny in this movie. So we we actually meet Benicio Del Toro, who plays mm-hmm. Frankie Four Fingers. We don't obviously know this yet, but he's disguised as a rabbi. And he's walking into, once again, he's part of this crew. Now, I thought it was interesting, since they're rabbis, they're talking about the Virgin Mary and how the Bible was a mistranslation. The whole virgin idea was mistranslated, which is what led yes. to you know, modern Christianity, which would make mm-hmm. sense, Joe, if you think about the Jewish faith and the Torah yeah. and how how the original books of the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. were, were adapted, right? So yeah. it does make sense it's... they'd be talking about this as a topic, as rabbis, yes. which sells the, the whole thing. Completely, yeah, because it definitely, it fits what the characters are doing, like hardcore. And this is even something like I, I think when I watched it, I wasn't really like... I wasn't really paying too much close attention to it. Like, oh, like they're just talking about why, um, like this is what the Jewish people believe. But I, I remember like even later taking like a Jewish studies course in, or the, yeah, the Jewish studies course in college and going much further into the Torah. I'm like, oh, this makes, this makes a lot of sense that yeah. the word for virgin and young woman are just very, very close together. And the whole idea of like the Septuagint, when that was said in the movie, I had no idea what it was when I was 14. And I, then I when either. you figure out there's this this whole legend or this idea that 40 people sat down and made 40 translations of the the Bible and they were all exactly the same. One, you can believe that all you want. I would never believe that 40 people did the exact same thing <laughs> um, and got it exactly right. Because clearly, again, a quick little spelling error like that can change the whole thing. Uh, yeah, someone oh, yeah. writes something a little sloppy and they're like, oh, this must have been virgin and not young woman. So again, yeah, dialogue was perfect for the for like the characters being in character, but it just like there's so much, I guess, so much like screen time dedicated to it that it feels like it should weigh more on the overall plot. And that's not a knock against it. It's just it's a very it's a guy Ritchie thing that he does in his movies, and it's something you appreciate because it just kind of makes you think, even though it's not even necessarily thinking about what's going on in the movie. Well, it's a very important thing as a distinction because people who have seen Reservoir Dogs by Quentin Tarantino would know what this vibe is because in the beginning of Reservoir Dogs, which is also a movie about a jewel heist, believe it or not, they start the movie off by talking about uh, Madonna and like a virgin and what it means. And so... That was Guy Ritchie paying homage to that and going, I'm going to start my movie off with a similar type of conversation. And so that's where this comes from. That's why we have mm-hmm. this banter going into, you know, this jewel heist. So it's, it's, yeah. it's inception in a way. We've got a couple of references referencing yep. each other. There's, <laughs> there's some layering going on there. But oh, yeah. before we get too, too far from the cast, because you did uh, mention Benicio del Toro already, this is a very, very star studded cast. Uh, for really its time or even now, because uh, our main guy, Turkish, is played by Jason Satham, 
Um, one of his one of the earlier films I remember seeing him in because this is like pre Transporter, well pre before the Fast and the Furious. Um, pre Italian he, he, well, job. He's a part of the Fast and Furious pre Italian job. <laughs> um, yeah, which again also great that the heist movie thing takes off there. But uh, also Brad Pitt and this is no, this is after Fight Club, isn't it? I'm trying to remember when did Fight. I feel like Fight Club yeah, was this like ninety seven. Is... No, like Fight Club was, I think, just the year before, maybe two. Like it was very, okay. very close mm-hmm. together, exactly. Which is why Brad Pitt even considered, I don't know if I want to be in this movie as a boxer because that this guy, is really yeah. close to what I just did. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But hey, he loved Guy Ritchie so much. He's like, fuck it. Let's do it. I don't care. Yep. Let's do it. And yeah. at least I had, like, again, like, again, like, there's the whole, like, fighting aspect of his character. But, uh, I think we can agree that Mickey is a distinctively different character than Tyler Durden was oh, in Fight yeah. Club. Mm-hmm. He to- he totally is. Yep. And on on the the topic of Benicio del Toro for a second, mm-hmm. I feel like Benicio del Toro was one of those those actors at this point in time that I think everybody had some kind of adoration for because we didn't really know him as like a director or even a writer at this stage. He was still known mm-hmm. for, you know, a few bit parts here and there. People really liked what he did. I was obviously like the usual suspects is a great movie. Yep. And so he plays the perfect eccentric weirdo. But at the same time, this movie has a ton of details packed into it. And what I thought was really important about this opening scene, didn't realize it when I was like 13 or 14 years old, of course. As I got older, though, you start to realize this this whole guise of them pretending to be rabbis, right? Mm-hmm. He he convinces these people that he's a rabbi that the owner of this place knows already, right? <laughs> they sell it with the impression of even traditional Jewish accents and everything. Like he's yeah. he's doing an accent as he goes in there. And at mm-hmm. first I didn't even realize it was him, right? So it yeah, tells you. you don't. <laughs> yeah. Especially because you're doing it through the security guy. Like you said, like the whole... That whole opening scene is you see through security cameras. So it's got this like 90s, early 2000s, like low definition, like grainy, like security camera footage. So anyone who could tell that that was Benicio del Toro from the get go, like you were a fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see it coming. Like it wasn't until like you actually have him actually getting the diamond. Uh, in the scene of like the, the the big reveal that they are in fact not rabbis that you could tell it was Benicio del Toro. And and the final thing about this I wanted to mention about this opening heist scene. Mm-hmm. These guys aren't schmucks, okay? Yeah. A, a lot of times you see these comedic films where the bad guys are hapless and they just they just happen to get through this, okay? These guys have revolvers, okay? Now Joe, do you know what an important thing about a revolver is in a bank heist? Well, from my knowledge of basically every action movie, heist movie, or anything ever made, if it's automatic, it will miss 99.9% of the time if it's an automatic rifle. If it's a shotgun, it's just boom and scary and it'll blow a hole in the wall. But revolvers, like 100% accurate. They always well, work. They always hit. The important thing is they don't leave evidence behind. Ooh. And so that's why it was like, okay, these guys are all holding revolvers. And it's like suddenly... I go, these guys are like, these are, this is years later, obviously not as a teenager, mm-hmm. but I watch this later and I go, this is a really important thing. Like these guys are not 
fucking around like holy shit this is mm-hmm. this, th- these are like professionals here which which is a little uncommon for a comedy right so very yeah, yeah. i'd say yeah, even so- i would say even for actual like attempted drama and like action movies it's uncommon to like have that much thought put into a heist scene because again usually the louder and more like action packed the better so unless the revolver is like dirty hairy size and looking really cool in your face they usually just go for the glock yeah yeah instead yeah. these people were very clear we don't want anyone to know that we did this and we're moving on mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool because a lot of these heist movies at the time, I feel like they weren't this careful. I feel like they weren't paying as close of attention either. And so right away, like if you're an adult watching this movie, I feel like you're going to appreciate this a lot more. It's, it's Mm -hmm. just something that not a lot of movies do. And it's, it's not the movie telling you these people are professionals. It's the details that do it. So yeah, really, really cool opening. But Mm -hmm. yes, on the topic of diamonds, Joe, we open it up with it. That's what the whole point of the heist is. It's to literally grab a diamond the size of a fist. And are you surprised that more than one person's interested in this thing? Oh no. Like this thing, I'm not I'm not gonna say it's like great hope diamond because I don't really don't really honestly can't remember what that means. I I know it was really big and expensive. So that's why we, we make we make like you know a big deal of the great hope diamond. But it was huge. It was massive, and I'm assuming worth lots of money. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> it's, it's 84 carat, which means it's it's some was it 84 or 85. I think it was 84. I think you're right. It's, I think it's 84. Right yeah, I think it was right 84. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a very very pure diamond. So yes. I could definitely understand why people would really want to have that thing. I, what I love about it is it's it's one of several factors that kind of kick this movie into gear right because it does shift throughout mm-hmm. a little bit and we'll cover that but ultimately the beginning of the movie is predicated on this diamond and there are several parties who are very interested in obtaining it and getting it and so that's what kind of leads us into as you mentioned the star-studded cast but one of these people is dennis farina and how familiar were you with dennis farina like when you saw this movie at this point in time, not very. Um, I'd have to say at this point in my career um, of of trying to absorb media, there are only a few actors I think were consistently on my list of like, I got to see that guy. But Dennis Farina was not one of them. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> but my brothers and I were clearly, uh, I don't want to say we're screwed up people, but we definitely appreciated some of the... <laughs> The finer tastes in life. And mm-hmm. at this point in time, Dennis Farina, he had some, you know, some time under his belt in terms of being an actor. Uh, I think people would most likely remember him from like Midnight Run. He was in Get Shorty, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was also on Crime Story and Law and Order. That's where a lot of folks saw him from was, you know, Law and Order. He played uh, yeah. Joe Fontana, I think, on that mm-hmm. <laughs> long running yep. role. He's no longer with us, unfortunately. He passed in 2013. Yeah. yeah. But for, for me, though, he was the host of Unsolved Mysteries after Robert Stack when it, when it kind of came back. So, yeah, we miss you. We miss you, Dennis. <laughs> we do. And as, as the sole American in this movie, we appreciate yeah, you. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, he is the sole American, which mm-hmm. his, his involvement in this movie at first is just being interested in the diamond itself. But yeah. But what I love about this 
is is how how quickly they explain what Frankie Four Fingers means. And Joe, mm-hmm. did you did you get any comedic value out of that whole explanation and what what transpired? I mean, how couldn't you? Like, it's the idea that uh, he's Frankie Four Fingers because he's known for making crappy bets and having certain things lobbed off. So, like, it, it was a good laugh. Like when he finds out that Frankie has this diamond and he's going into a bookie with it. He just yes. loses his mind. It's like, yes. are you kidding me? You, you've given Frankie four fingers. You may not be, what is it? You may not know a whole lot about diamonds, but you are fucking stupid, I think was the line that he used <laughs> to the man who was talking to him. Yes. Um, the head. Yeah, like, you might Doug know the head. <laughs> yeah. Pretty great. Doug the head. Yeah. So definitely, definitely a solid laugh because you definitely see, um, you definitely see Farina just losing his shit. And this is, of course, oh. like over the phone. But... I- yeah, and, and that's what I love about. So he plays the character of Coven Av- or cousin Avi, which, yeah. which when I first saw this movie, it, it he completely took over the screen for me because he goes mm-hmm. from like happy, he's ecstatic that they got the diamond, and then he suddenly finds out that that Frankie is uncovering some of his his gambling issues, mm-hmm. and my my brother and I, Nate, obviously he's been on the show. You've you've met Nate. When Nate and I first saw this movie, we were laughing hysterically every time they do the Viva Las Vegas like aside. <laughs> yeah. When they when they show him enjoying himself gambling mm-hmm. and then immediately regretting it. And he's yeah. got the, the <laughs> tissue in his forehead and all that. <laughs> Just like, sweating like crazy. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. So immediately you know Frankie Fourfingers should Not never good. be trusted with anything involving finances. <laughs> and so What's really cool about this from a stylistic standpoint is that once Avi finds that out, he moves just as fast as the movie does. He's instantly mm-hmm. in America, and then there. he's instantly in England. And the first thing that he oh. says, shut up and sit down, you big bald fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, because you get to see Avi going back and forth between the States and England twice in this movie. Yeah. and. The the small like like that same thing where we had Benicio del Toro whenever he gambled, you got Viva Las Vegas. Uh whenever Avi leaves and goes, you get this like he takes a shot, you have, you have a, a plane going and then like a stamp going down wherever he is, and like the first couple things he says uh yes. when he gets like to where he's going. Fucking fantastic. Great little montages they put together for this. God, yes. Oh, it is mm-hmm. so funny. And and, and the thing is this movie does this really well. It's not just here. Mm-hmm. Like the subtleties of its humor are, are obviously there. And sometimes we're not even talking about punchlines. They're just like really quick, like micro millisecond types of things. Mm-hmm. And, and they just have you cracking up. So they those, do. yeah, it's crazy how well he did that in this movie. I, I was, I was like completely taken away by this when I was a teenager watching it the first time. And, and as a kid I, or as a kid, as an adult, I realized how few movies can execute this as well as this one did. Yeah, because it is it is complicated. Like you you said that this is not again. We said it wasn't a heist movie so much as this like ensemble movie, and yeah. you have this very very large cast of characters for us to try and focus on in this short span of like what an hour and forty minutes. Um, it's not not terribly long by today's movie standards at all, yeah. and this movie does such a good job of basically focusing on one aspect of the story from like a group of characters perspective and then shifting 
and then shifting again, and then eventually bringing them all together to bring the story into a head. And even the way, like, almost like you think of like how like Quentin Tarantino will start you like like three quarters of the way through the movie, <laughs> right at the start, and yeah. then he he brings you like how you got to there. This movie has a bit of that, but there's even more layering on top of it. And it's just part of like the great filmmaking that you have here to tell the story. And I think I've, I've always had a favorite group or a favorite like story arc of, of characters in this movie, but we'll, we'll get to them in a little bit because there is a lot going on before we meet them. Because I think at this point we should probably focus a little more on, I think where you probably have are the true uh, protagonists of this movie and that's Turkish and Tommy. Yes, and we and I will get yeah. there really quick. Mm -hmm. The only thing I want to mention, though, before we get any further, keep in mind, this mm -hmm. is Guy Ritchie's like second full-length feature film. Like before this, he had yeah. Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, which mm -hmm. people complained was a very similar movie, and it wasn't just fans; it was critics. Like critics said that this movie is pretty much the same thing. Well, I can agree with you in some aspects. He clearly learned from his experiences, and so. Mm -hmm. Everything we're going to talk about here, I think, is truly like, it, I wouldn't say it's peak Guy Ritchie, but yeah. this is the style of Guy Ritchie that I think people truly grasped and understood. And so, mm -hmm. very, very important detail, I think, in his like cinematic career at this point. Yeah. So, absolutely. And then I think that argument when you, when you look at like this movie versus Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, it's like, you know what? When I buy a Twix bar, I know I'm getting two of them in there, and that's the style Twix is handing out. I don't get mad at the second Twix for tasting just as good as the first one because yes. that's what I feel about this movie. It is, it is distinctive enough, but obviously it's the same director and he's going to, I don't know. It's like, it'd be like being mad at Scorsese for a few of his movies being too close to each other. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. yeah. Like it's, it's kind of like one of those things where like you go and see this director, you're going to be able to tell that director did it and you shouldn't be mad about it. Uh, you should almost, not, I guess I, I'm having trouble really trying to like describe this well, because I don't want to like defend certain things. Cause like, you know, Michael Bay, well, you know, it's going to be a Michael Bay movie. It's a blockbuster. It's a summer thing. It's not going to be Oscar worthy. You know what you're getting. Just sit down and enjoy the ride. Whereas Guy Ritchie is going to have like his own style and it's not fast paced action and big explosions. Um, yeah. But yeah. you'll be able to tell it's a Guy Ritchie movie. But that's that's a really important thing to mention here because for someone who's trying to introduce you to an ensemble cast in a movie, you touched on this a little bit. We've already met like three groups of people. Actually, mm -hmm. technically four because we also meet Boris yeah. the Blade who's played by uh, Radej Trebedja, the, the guy that was in uh, Eurotrip. That... Hey! Number <laughs> yeah. one new favorite show! <laughs> Where's the beef? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like he's... He's introduced right away too. And mm -hmm. so suddenly we've got this like crazy table set that already has like really weird people involved. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's the first like three, four minutes of the movie. So yeah. I, I, my hat tip is there, but mm -hmm. as you mentioned, yeah, the, the real main characters of this movie, uh, you know, are, are two boxing promoters mm -hmm. and they're trying to figure out the world. And I, I thought that was really cool to kind of take this like big heist moment and then bring it down to these two guys who are kind of the hapless people, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're not the, the smartest, 
Nope. You know, they, they don't have the and, most resources, right? They're just no. kind of, yeah, every And I would, I would wager to say that of like basically in a comedic crime movie that's filled with a cast of characters who are swindlers, robbers, thieves, or people who feed other people to their pigs. <laughs> these two are the most innocent in the entire movie. Like they, like they maybe have a small sordid past because they, I don't know, they're boxing promoters. It's a dying sport. Even at this time, it's hard yep. to make it through. I'm sure they've done something. They probably shouldn't have here and there to be able to make it by, but comparatively to everyone else, they're not bad, not bad people. Yeah, they're definitely the good guys mm -hmm. if we need that distinction, right? And so obviously people know who Jason Statham is who plays Turkish and Stephen Graham plays Tommy. And Stephen Graham is, he's actually a really, really solid, like underrated actor. And he was also in like Gangs of New York. That's actually where I noticed him first was Gangs of New York. He plays a really good supporting role in that, but he also plays a really good role in this. And it's because right away, you can tell his his role was to be bullied by people. Like they yep. set it up right away. When he says, yeah, his name used to tell me. He says it's after the gun, but I know it's actually after Danza. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> like, ah, Tommy, he's fronting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, poor Tommy. And so yeah, uh, but Statham yeah. does pick on him because he knows it toughens him toughens him up. And in the at the end of the day, he's like a brother. So yeah, yeah, yeah. There's mm -hmm. definitely that dynamic. Like they, even though they're they're like you know business partners, they 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 actually mm -hmm. run a like cheap casino because they got like you know yep. coin machines and stuff that they do on the side. But yeah, seeing them enter this world and and starting to work with the world of unlicensed boxing is is truly interesting to me because they mention that yeah, this stuff pays the bills, but we need to do something to honestly make more money or we're going to be, you know, we're going to, we're going to be above our necks in things if we don't change. Yeah. So immediately first thought I would have thought diversify the portfolio. I wouldn't have thought let's work with a sadistic murderous and crazy individual known as Bricktop. Yeah. say so if you're, if you're messing with a guy named Bricktop or you don't even know his real name, yeah. not worth getting into business with that dude. Mm -mm. No, I mean, not at all. In hindsight, when you when you view this years later after your mm -hmm. first sampling of it, it's like, I, I don't know if I would have gone there right away. Mm -hmm. You know, I might have thought, hey, maybe let's let's offer some food at this establishment. <laughs> not necessarily breaking laws and murdering people. Ooh. I mean, hey, to each their own. Right. Mm hmm. But Joe, yeah, what, what did what did you think about Bricktop as as your your first impression once once they enter this like underground? So one like Bricktop's like actually like introduction, I guess like in in his title card sequence. One thing I think that, that even like stepping back to that, I think the title card sequence to introduce a like a, a large cast of characters is a lost art because yeah. living in basically the MCU like I guess era of filmmaking where every character gets their own full movie to establish them before you get them in a, I guess, an ensemble movie, so that way you know them in the background, you get enough to know that Bricktop really should not be fucked with in his, yeah. like, what, 45-second introduction when you he goes over, what is he? Ah, 
I think he's talking about like the the ups and downs of like owning a pig farm or something. <laughs> no, 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 it's not that. It's not that. He he goes in that little bit, but he like some other character who like you never see again after this. He's talking about how like he's he's worthless and he's like a dog or he has dog like characteristics, but they're all like they're all the dog characteristics except for being loyal, which is the only good one. And the next yeah. thing you know, um, the guy he's talking to is getting tased and he's got a bag over his head and he's getting brought down and. It was actually the another character that came with a person who was tased that was willing to basically fuck over his own friend to save his own skin. And you would think that maybe Bricktop would be like, hey, look at this guy. Like he's he's on my side here. Uh he he comment he like makes one like makes one compliment to him and turns around and says some British term for basically calling him like, you know, you fucked over your own buddy, and I don't appreciate that. And now he's got a bag over his head. And then he's walking around and just says, feed him to the pigs. And it's like, well, this guy, despite his like bottle cap, thick glasses, um, being older and having horrible teeth, uh, don't <laughs> fuck with him. <laughs> so here's the thing. <laughs> what's, what's funny about this is that the intro for this movie, that title card sequence, Bricktop is actually smacking someone's teeth out of their mouth with a mallet. Like he's, yep. he's, mm-hmm. he's forcefully coming down on their face with it. So you you almost don't even need to know at all what this guy's about. You just know he's willing to inflict any kind of, you know. Lots of pain. Yeah, any pain that's necessary, mm-hmm. he'll do it. Now, here's a really quick aside because we love some of the behind-the-scenes stories. We share them a lot. Mm-hmm. Alan Ford, who plays Bricktop, he's actually a very, very sweet man, okay? He's, he's I believe animal, it. <laughs> yeah, he's an animal rights activist. <laughs> Why yeah. Oh, yeah. He's an animal rights activist. He's a human rights activist. He's a volunteer for these efforts. So it is so crazy to see. I mean, they're actors, right? Actors are going to act. But just to see the things he does off screen and then compare them to what you saw in this movie, it's like, holy shit. How did you channel that? I Mm -hmm. almost don't want to know. The range of this guy. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But hey, Joe, it was Mm -hmm. the it was the range of a different actor that almost played Bricktop. That I feel like it's kind of changed cinema history here in a way. Mm-hmm. Now, do you know who the original person was that they targeted for Bricktop? Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Not, I mean, I'll give you some credit because technically these guys are both pretty prolific right around mm-hmm. the same time. But it was Sir Sean Connery Ooh. that they targeted for this role. You know that so, that that would have like that would have worked. Just because Sean Connery works in pretty much everything you throw him in, but that would have especially worked for this movie. <laughs> well, hey, just imagine if if Sean Connery delivered, you know, Bricktop's big speech about what a nemesis means, you know, mm-hmm. a, a righteous infliction of retribution manifested by an appropriate agent. Yeah, mm-hmm. imagine that, but it was slurred and had a lot of shushes in it. Well, <laughs> the story behind this, so, so Guy Ritchie mm-hmm. wanted to get Sean Connery for the role, and they put together like a quick demo slash like you know real for this to kind of give him an idea mm-hmm. so he they 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 hastily put it together they rent out a private theater for sean connery to go see it he watches it he loves it the reaction's great and so he says to the producers at that point he goes because that was a great thing but you can't afford me <laughs> and he was right oh, he was right <laughs> there's no way they could have afforded him for this no. movie Mm-mm. yeah the grosses just weren't going to be there so Mm-mm. no so yeah not, not, i mean not, not for connery money it was a budget of 10 million dollars 
They, they never would have been able to get him, unfortunately. No, Jesus. At that rate, like, Jesus, right? Like, I was thinking, like, at this point, you've got, like, Julie Roberts is one of the highest paid actresses, and she's, like, what, like, 22 million a movie? Like, yeah. Like, and then, like, again, like, Connery, big name. Like, I don't know what he was pulling in at the time, but it was over 10 million. <laughs> well, we're not just talking about Sean Connery. We're talking about mm-hmm. sexiest man alive, Sean Connery, at this point. True. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to sell an 86 carat diamond to be able to afford this man for this. Oh, it was an 86 carat diamond. Look at that. Just coming out 86? of the ether. Oh, off, yeah. off by two carats. Damn. Yeah. Just, just pulled it out of the ether. <laughs> there it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So either way, we, we didn't have Sean Connery for this, mm-hmm. but Alan Ford as Bricktop, like the main baddie of this movie, his presence is immediately felt. Mm-hmm. And he actually helped shape Bricktop even more than we realized because when they were talking about how he he says that the worst people in the world would torture dogs mm-hmm. there's a very specific line that he delivers well the way that he delivered it Guy Ritchie thought wow Bricktop really thinks that torturing a dog is one of the worst things that a human can do and he has no limits so they actually yeah. went back they went <laughs> mm-hmm. back and recorded him torturing the dog so that Bricktop wouldn't just be maniacal, but he'd also be contradicting himself. Like that's how evil huh. this guy is. Mm-hmm. I assumed that he was just kind of making a comment on himself that he is one of the worst things out there. <laughs> so like he was almost adding his own reputation. There you go. I, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I think that's true. And that's what was really cool about what they did with this movie. Like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that did mm-hmm. kind of happen organically, just like a lot of creative endeavors, but, but a lot of this was in line. And Joe, to your point, you opened with this. One of the the most incredible performances in this movie would happen to involve caravans and a flight of people who travel from town to town. Uh, yes. Now, we talked about this before. Brad Pitt mm-hmm. didn't care really what he was doing. He just wanted to work with Guy Ritchie. That's now, fair. <laughs> I have to say, that decision elevates this movie from something that a lot of people may have appreciated mm-hmm. but came up to a completely different height with this now what is your viewpoint on we're, we're calling them the irish travelers because mm-hmm. the vocabulary has changed since this movie's come out we'll put it that way yes so, <laughs> so you're, mm-hmm. joe what's what's your viewpoint of the irish travelers that brad Pitt belongs to and, and where they fit within this movie mm-hmm. Well, one for our for our friends in the states, when we say caravan, uh, if you are unfamiliar with the term uh, and are thinking that it means like actually several vehicles like strung in a row and they're just working or like driving the same direction and they intend on going to the same destination, that is definitely a convoy, not a caravan or like yeah, wrong thing. Uh, caravans in our term, basically an RV or a camper. Uh, is what you're thinking of. And I think specifically, like, caravans are campers to us. Uh, so in this case, they are, I think, they also throw out the word gypsy, and that they're just yeah. kind of wanderers and vagabonds, uh, and a little bit of that. They are their own people. <laughs> they're, yes. They're not Irish, they're not English, they're something in between. And they just go and do whatever. It's yeah. It's kind of like an odd like redneck freedom that they live if we have to compare it to anything in the states <laughs> yes yeah if this was like an unincorporated town without a police department that's what this feels like mm-hmm. and now when it comes to 
details. We've talked about this a couple of times. Like the details of this movie, there's plenty of them in every scene. Mm -hmm. There's a very important detail about the first time that we meet Brad Pitt's character of Mickey. Do you remember what he's doing the first time you see him on screen? So is this during his um his title card sequence, or is this when he is now actually no. we're seeing him talk for the first time? Yeah, the very first time he's actually like in the movie outside of the title screen. So he's hiding behind a car as Tommy and Gorgeous George come in. And I'm trying to like I I I still kind of trying to think what the fuck he's doing behind the car. Technically, be yes, hiding is a is the I think it's is the that, right term in a sense. He's literally but, going to the bathroom behind a car. That's what I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause he's, cause he's got his pants lowered. He's looking up over the car to make sure they can't see him. Yeah. And then you see him pull his pants up and fasten his belt again. Now here's the thing. If, if he was just taking a piss behind this car, why I don't down see, that far? <laughs> I, I don't see why he'd be why squatting he down over. that far. Yep. He's, he's clearly taking a shit behind taking this, shit. this truck when they first come up. <laughs> And I'm going to assume he didn't wipe at the speed at which he, he pulled he pulls his, pants his pants up. up. There's no way he wipes no. wipe his ass. So, so the first time that you see Mickey on screen, mm-hmm. the dude, it, he's like when you put your hand in the jar of peanut butter and you accidentally touch the side. Like that is what's going on mm-hmm. with him below the belt. The first time you see him on camera. Yep. And it sets the tone for what the Irish travelers are doing, what what his character is like. He he is literally like a walking form of chaos. <laughs> I, I think that's a good way to put him. And I think the best scene with him, actually, I mean, granted, like there are a lot of really good scenes with Brad Pitt in this movie as Mickey. And I think one of the best ways to establish his character is one, when uh, they sell a faulty caravan to Tommy and gorgeous George there and it makes it all of six feet, and then the axle just falls off. Yeah. Not great. Um, then they agree to, like, basically he would fight Gorgeous George uh, for the price of the RV. And, like, Mark, describe what's happening to Brad Pitt as we open in this fight. So here's, here's what the really important detail is. Mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is surrounded all these people that know him mm-hmm. as soon as you see him start fighting gorgeous george who's easily got probably 50 to 60 pounds on him uh, not yep. to mention half a foot worth of height as you say to quote mickey in this uh when he sees gorgeous george step out of the car for the first time it's oh he's a big fucker yeah <laughs> yeah oh, you're, you're a big fucker yeah <laughs> you're a big fucker look at size. how big is he kids how big is he has the size of him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you see this fight you know that gorgeous George is going to just lay down some hurting bombs. But the important detail is to watch what's going on with the crowd watching this fight. Because when they're sizing up gorgeous George, who is, you know, obviously the uh, Turkish and Tommy's prize fighter, right? Like he's the one that Mm -hmm. they're trying to put in this fight with Bricktop. Everyone that's watching what's going on. They're all looking at gorgeous George as if they know something. Right. Every single one of them, when it gets into the actual ring and you see them fight over the, we'll call it the honor of the caravan. Right. Yes. And, and, and getting the money back. The people watching the fight that are part of this, this clan, 
none of them are even looking at gorgeous george they're all yelling at mickey going come on come on Mm -hmm. it's like you're just gonna let him hit you because they they all know that he's a bare knuckle boxing champion they all know Mm -hmm. it and oh yeah and and that's a consistent thing with his group of people they always know somehow more than everybody else Mm -hmm. like in this movie completely and also what like if i were george and i were really walloping on this guy if i'd have taken two seconds to realize every time like he gets back up or i just really hit him hard and he's like kind of pushed back from his buddies and it looks like he's just physically stretching yeah no there's something else going on here something's rigged we need to stop right now (laughs) we'll we'll take our broken caravan and go yep yep which which i think Mm -hmm. is great that that the the irish traveler group even exists in the first place because it's also a commentary on what guy Ritchie Mm -hmm. thought about people that made fun of them for lock stock and two smoking barrels there a lot of people complained they couldn't understand what the characters were saying in his first movie they're just so Mm -hmm. british that they can't tell his his commentary back to them was going all right fine Okay. You want you want to fucking have a problem with how people speak in England? <laughs> we are going to create Good. a character to people that you don't know what they're saying, and the people in the movie don't even know what he's saying. Yep. And so <laughs> that's why we even have this entire mm-hmm. segment of this movie. Like it's it's a walking commentary as a big fuck you to people that were pissed off about Lockstock. Love it. And I mean, it's I almost want to say like an integral part of the movie uh, with that you cannot understand them all the time and what they're saying, but yeah. how that also like kind of works to their advantage quite a bit is that they know that you can't understand them and they, they play on that. And while they are a really big part, I feel like there's one more, one more like, group of people here we haven't really gotten to. And these are actually my favorite ones of the movie. They get introduced in a, cause they own, I think what basically what a pawn shop is yeah. is their their part here and we first meet them i think when they're dealing with boris the blade and this is soul vince and tyrone 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 and the- <laughs> I, lo- I, lo- I love it because <laughs> oh my know, god Bo- boris the blade hires them right to to try to get the the suitcase away from from yes. uh yeah so why, why am i forgetting frankie four fingers good lord he, yep, so, right. so yeah yeah he hires these guys and once again this is me speaking on behalf of my brother because we love this movie so much when you see these guys <laughs> soul and vince aren't really well known because when we talked about the hapless main characters that don't always know what they're doing that's who Saul and, and Vince are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they are so oh inept at everything they do. Oh, yeah. They have no profile mm-hmm. in the criminal world. While everybody else no. here kind of does, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody else kind of knows each other in some way, except for these guys. Yes. And, I mean, you, you, yeah. you get Soul like clearly knowing like his, his diamonds. They establish that right away because someone comes in with, with something that's worth nothing, thinking they have like something worth a few hundred dollars at the very least. But then Vince comes in and quickly establishes that that's not going to be the case for this group for very long as he doesn't even know what the hell he's doing with his dog. Yes. He got in a deal with our nomadic Irish friends because apparently they just always like to throw dogs in with everything they do. It's true. And he thought it'd be great for the shop. And he very quickly like lets it off of its leash, 
takes the collar off, wants to get to know the shop, and in walks Boris the Blade. <laughs> and the dog takes off right out of the door. Yep. <laughs> and Vince has to go chasing after him, which is where we get the whole idea of how they are going to try and get the briefcase. And that, when we go to get the briefcase from Freddy Four Fingers, is when we get to meet Tyrone. Yes, Tyrone yes. is on the heftier side <laughs> of physique. He's a bigger guy and apparently is like the hired wheelman because at some point he had he had driven a rally car. They didn't yes. say he raced the rally car, but he had driven a rally car. Therefore, <laughs> he's the getaway guy. He's the getaway driver. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Now, oh my god. You you know I've been a hefty man. I've been a, I've been a very large man in various parts of my life. Husky I think is the agreed to term nowadays. But yes. one of the funniest sequences I've ever seen in a movie, and it's watching Tyrone try to get out of this car, this little tiny car that he owns. <laughs> and I mean, they, they've got this this fantastic little sound effect that to, to me sounds like a trash bag that's like being pulled out of a can. That's just like the, there's too much stuff in the trash bag. Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's like trying to pull himself out of this car. And it's so painful to watch. It's probably like a 10 or 15 second like clip. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to get out of the door. And then Saul turns to Vince and it's like, he's a getaway driver. What the fuck can he get away from? What the fuck can he get away from? <laughs> <laughs> and that line brings up a really good point that I think we, we may should have started with. And that is that there's like no real wasted dialogue in this movie. One, that was that was basically like, like witty banter. But like even like with Boris the Blade, when you first hear about his character, um, it's when uh, basically uh, Guillermo del Toro's character, Freddy Fourfingers, is being told that when you get to London, you talk yeah. to Boris the Blade, who can get you a gun. And they talk about how he's a, he's a tough son of a bitch to kill, which does come back later in the movie. Uh, <laughs> but when you go to have Sol Vincent Tyrone actually go and try and get the briefcase from Freddy Fourfingers, they know he's going to place this bet with a diamond uh, that he's putting on the line for the whole thing. And they have this whole thing where he's not going to back into a parking space. He's going to go to another spot. And the reason why is because there's not enough room there. And you, of course, got Vince making fun of Tyrone. Like, you could park an airship over there. Like, it's a huge. You could park a jumbo fucking aircraft in there, Vincent. Yeah. (laughs) So Tyrone finally gives in and goes to actually back into the space and begin to pillow park. And he flies so fast in there that he just rams the rear end of his tiny car right into the car parked behind it. And Vince is like, what the hell, Tyrone? thought you were supposed to be a good driver. And Tyrone's like, it was at a weird angle. Yeah, it was a funny angle. It was was a funny (laughs) angle. He's like, it's a 400-pound truck, Tyrone, and it's right behind us. Things are typically... Come from behind when you're in reverse. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's it's it's, mm-hmm. it's compacted into like this. Once again, it's not wasted dialogue because it's not very no. long. Like it's a very mm-hmm. short sequence, and they hit mm-hmm. you with all of these funny things that these between these guys, and and not to mention that you know Saul's name, Solomon's like short name. Saul stands for mm-hmm. shit out of luck. So you kind of yeah. know that these guys are probably not going to end up on the right side of any of these things. And no. sure enough, when they, they try to actually rob the, the bookie that the bookies, you know, that Bricktop operates, you know, the fact that the, the two guys with the least amount of experience were the ones doing it cracks me up because when they're yep. looking at the security footage, they don't even know who these guys are. 
Like they've done no. so little in life when it comes to like the crime side of things, which everybody else, once again, is established. They don't notice anything about these guys. The only person they recognize mm-hmm. is like a, a blip on the security footage. Who's Tyrone? Like Tyrone yep. shows up on there. Mm-hmm. And of course, right away, they know who he is, which I think we need to understand like a little bit of like the, obviously their, their heist goes wrong here when that oh, their heist, their, their robbing of the bookie goes wrong. And then they try leaving. And this is after security has been like activated and like protective walls have come up over the bookie and they want to get out and they're kicking the door to get out. Yeah. And then like, it's a security door. We can't do that. So they shoot at it and it's bulletproof glass. So the bolts are bouncing around doing anything. They give up, slide down, they take their ski masks off and realize that there's a security camera there. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> in walks Tyrone because the door is a fucking push and not a, it's a, from their directive. It's a pull and not a push. So they're kicking <laughs> against the door. And of course it won't open because it has to open inward. So <laughs> they didn't even try opening the damn door. They just <laughs> to add insult to injury. Yep. Lenny James, the actor who plays Saul, who would go on to like walking dead fame. During this sequence, when they were filming him like shooting the the door and like blowing a hole in it, he actually accidentally hit himself in the crotch during that part. <laughs> so not only is he like in pain because of the you know shooting the gun and accidentally mm-hmm. like clipping his own leg, he was actually in pain because he hit his own nutsack during that. <laughs> so you're actually seeing the take <laughs> from him having hit his his own balls during <laughs> during that scene. <laughs> So that makes sense because, like, I like you saw that you see it happen on screen, and it actually takes you back for a second because you're like, wait, what the fuck happened to him? Like he didn't yeah. get hit by anything. Yeah, he's like wincing. Oh, yeah, no, he's like, wincing. The recoil of himself. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's hilarious. It's to the point where, like, like you, like I don't know, like I think the first time I saw this, I didn't catch that it actually hit him in the nuts. So I thought that maybe, like, maybe there's like a deleted scene that probably should have stayed in that maybe someone hit him like when they're trying to run away or something, we just, it's now not there. No, he just hit himself in the nuts with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. which, which is one of those things that obviously I didn't know when I first saw it, but when I, when I watched it again and I listened to the commentary and everything, it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, like Lenny James accidentally tapped his own nutsack during the scene. And it just makes it that much funnier to know that's what happened. And I think the only person that we haven't really talked about in this movie so far, because for the most part, these characters kind of pull each other in and out of the plot of the film. Mm -hmm. The only person that we didn't really talk about would be bullet tooth, Tony. See, and this is where we should probably fully consider turning this into just a full on Vinnie Jones dedicated podcast, because we've done three (laughs) movies with him so far, which I think is more than any other actor in our podcast. Because we had him in gone 60 seconds right away in season one. We just did Euro trip with Vinnie Jones and I think this is like escalatingly levels of Vinnie Jones-ness. This is very Vinnie Jones, Vinnie Jones movie. Oh, God, because yes. the whole idea of Bullet Tooth Tony is that he was shot not once, not twice, not even thrice, but six times. Six. In one, one sitting, I guess is the best way to put that. And mm. he had some of the bullets melted down and turned into teeth for him. <laughs> so he is now bullet tooth Tony. All the while listening to Lucky Star by Madonna, which mm-hmm. 
cracks me up because of the, the connection to yes. <laughs> to Guy Ritchie at this point in time. And, oh, it's my favorite song. Yeah, you know, so <laughs> yeah, Bullet, Bullet Tooth Tony is he is quintessential Vinnie Jones mm-hmm. at this point in his career. Well, I guess the whole career. <laughs> the whole career. Because <laughs> he's he's hired muscle and Avi cousin Avi brings him in as like his, you know, his guide slash, you know, he's gonna help me navigate the criminal world while I'm here. Mm-hmm. Right. He's he comes highly recommended. Uh, he actually yep. got his teeth helped out and molded because uh, of the head. The head kind of did that, so he likes him a lot. Mm-hmm. But here's something very, very important. I, I don't know if you noticed this about his character, though. When they first bring him in and mm-hmm. he's he's talking to them about what they're trying to do, did you notice anything specific about him the entire time he's talking to Avi, you know, Doug the Head and all those guys? That he purposely sat himself between Doug the Head's twin daughters. <laughs> well, well, very true. <laughs> one of the most important details about this movie is that they don't create these one-dimensional people. Everybody we've talked mm-hmm. about so far, like you, you just mentioned, Saul is kind of hapless, but he's an expert with recognizing jewelry, right? Mm-hmm. And Avi, you know, Avi obviously is hot-headed, incredibly hot-headed. But at the same time, he can be a sweet man. Like you see it. Yeah. You can see it happen. So really important thing about Bullet Tooth, Tony, he is an expert listener. Like he is one of the best active listeners I've ever seen. I've been working in sales for over 12 years now. When you watch him talk to Abby and Doug and then try to get information for what he needs to do, he's asking very few questions and he is listening Mm -hmm. intently to everything. Yeah. It's, it's, It's crazy. If you watch it, you'll see him. He's like sitting there. He's never reacting to what they're saying right away. He's listening. Mm-hmm. He's pausing. And then he asks another question. It's like a sales course. Seriously. Yeah. And <laughs> he he is definitely there to work because he doesn't even care what you call him. Not bullet, not tooth. You can call him Susan for all they like, all yeah. you like. But yeah. And also I'd like to really, really point out, like you you said how cousin avi like you said is hot-headed but can turn to like incredibly sweet person the transformation between avi talking to the head to bullet tooth tony one even being mentioned like oh he sounds like he's a guy for the job and then when tony actually gets there he almost have like he has like this boyishness to him now because he's like he's still mad but i feel like he's more excited yeah. to watch Tony work and work with him than yeah. anything else when yeah. this part of the movie comes uh, comes around. Yeah, yeah, because you could tell Avi himself is, he's probably more of a businessman, right? Like they even show mm-hmm. kind of how he's he's in like a very large office and he's got people working for him nearby. And so you can tell that even he, he's very, he's very, he's very intelligent, very witty, very sly. But you can probably tell too, he doesn't have a whole lot of exposure to this world. So yeah, he is kind of soaking it up, almost like he's he's getting to tag along with the police on a ride along, right? And so yeah, I agree with you completely that that he's mm-hmm. he's soaking it up, like he's absolutely enjoying this ride. And so yeah, it, it has this other this other layer because you know the boxing promoters they're terrified and they're trying to figure out how to exist in this like crazy dark world they're part of now, and yeah. then everybody else is also dipping into something they haven't really had to do before for the exception mm-hmm. of like Boris, the blade and, you know, Frankie four fingers. Right. 
but those yeah. are the guys that are breaking the law on a fairly consistent <laughs> basis. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the important thing about bullet tooth Tony for me is that he comes in at a time where everybody else is fairly established in their, their rule breaking or kind of what, what path they're going to be on. Whereas this is kind of the chance for Avi to enter the criminal underground, start to kind of get his legs under him. And so Tony actually kind of takes him under his wing in a sense, like we kind of talked about, there's a kind of a ride along feeling to this. Mm -hmm. And so you get to kind of see how, how he lives because Tony's kind of near retirement in a lot of ways. He's not going to be someone that's going to do this for anybody. So it's kind of rare that they were able to pull him into this as a character and, and, you know, as his, as his character arc. So I thought that was a lot of fun. The other thing that I thought was hilarious was that the first time that you actually see Tony interact with like Saul and, you know, the, the, the shit out of luck guys, mm-hmm. the first time he appears where he clunks his, his gun on the window, that wasn't actually him. That wasn't actually Vinnie Jones. And the really? reason why it wasn't, uh, wasn't possible for him to be there was because in typical Vinnie Jones fashion, he was actually in prison. Uh, he was actually in jail that night. <laughs> For an oh, altercation. of course he was. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they had to have a double come in for like the first time he interacts with them on on screen. Oh my but, god! But yeah, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's like if you wanted to know what Vinnie Jones was up to at that point in his life, <laughs> there's there's no better way. <laughs> no, but oh, uh, but hey, that 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 half yeah. reminds me of like the uh, I don't want to say the good old days, but the ye old days. When a website once existed called isdmxinjail.com, <laughs> yeah, which, right. you know, rest in peace, never forget DMX. Uh, but yeah, that's just, that's Vinnie Jones. Yeah. <laughs> He's the man is a true wild card in every sense of the word. <laughs> which, as this kind of movie kind of goes, I think that's a really good way to kind of talk about just the plot. The plot always mm-hmm. feels like a wild card. Because you're never really quite sure what's going to happen, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you know something's going to go badly, right? Yeah. And and so we're calling this segment of the the episode on the topic of milk. We've talked about how diamonds have kind of shaped the like the first part of the movie. The caravans kind of advance us into the next part. But Joe, what does milk play as a role in this movie? Can you remember? Uh, other than a solid source of calcium. I don't know why, because I feel like I have a good memory of this movie, and I don't know why I'm blanking on milk. I'm not making that connection right now. Hey, that's okay. That's why we write it this way. Mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be provoking, thought-provoking, <laughs> right? But mm-hmm. the milk in this movie actually leads to one of those tarantino style conversations yep. that happens right kind yep, of in that, that, mm-hmm. yeah that third act of the movie right yeah it's i feel like it's it starts to almost be kind of like it, it feels like that conversation we had at the start of the movie where you've got the rabbis talking and it feels like it fits for the scene even though it may not have a greater weight in the rest of the movie yeah. but milk ends up having kind of an immediate weight on the movie after it's uh after its introduction, because it's actually Turkish drinking a carton of it. And Tommy, who's insisting on, oh, that's really bad for you. He brings in this whole idea, like, 
evolutionarily like our guts just aren't used to the to like the agriculture of food of dairy yet which i like by the way honestly is a full of horse shit um, I mean, our, our bodies if they we can digest it just fine um <laughs> most of us can sorry mark i don't want to rub it in your face that i can have dairy and you can't it, uh the the point is though it is kind of a fairly modern conversation even given mm-hmm where they were in time, right? Because a lot of us yeah. weren't really talking about the impacts of dairy on the human body or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, and people have talked a lot about that in the years since, right? So it's, it was funny yeah. how this is a conversation being had in what's essentially like 1999 slash 2000. Like it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a fairly progressive conversation to be having yeah. at that mm-hmm. point in time. Right. I, I would say it was even ahead of its time by maybe 10 years. I, I, I completely agree. It's, it's definitely uh, the, this is the more philosophical philosophical approach as opposed to like psych, which is a great show by the way. And you've got Gus who decides to try and pick up women by going up to him and say, Hey, you hear about Pluto? That's messed up <laughs> because this was around the time Pluto was deplaneted. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it's funny though. Like we, we've kind of honed in on these very specific things. This one carton of milk gets thrown out the window. Mm-hmm. And sets up a way in a very Seinfeldian format to tie together all of these individual plot lines and stories and characters that, frankly, were all kind of on a on a separate trajectory to a point, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I always yep. found that funny. Yeah, like yeah, like yeah. It's... Milk, tied this together. <laughs> I mean, and and the way it does it too. It's very like if you haven't seen this movie, but you've enjoyed Anchorman. It's the equivalent of, I mean, not the equivalent of the burrito, but mechanically it works like the burrito being thrown out and now kicking off a major block, a major plot point of the movie. But instead of kicking the plot point off, like you said, it now finally brings together a cast of characters who were all chasing the same thing, but at the same time, you could almost feel like they're all in their own movies. And suddenly now, they're all in the same movie because of the milk carton being thrown out of the window by Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's because you, you're thinking there has to be something that can start to yeah bring all this. There's a convergence point or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. true. That's, that's the, that's the unifying thing in this that's movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Freaking carton of milk. Yeah. man. That, I know. Of all the so. things to do it, because even more so than like you eventually even like I mean at some point um like um brickface did I say that wrong? Did I say brickface? That's a, that's a brick top. <laughs> brickface. Yeah. I'm like I slowly am becoming my father, and I know I'm <laughs> filling in things that don't be there. The entire pandemic, he kept saying COVID nineteen. I'm like, Dad, I have no idea what crows have to do with any of this. And then he's looking <laughs> at me like I was an idiot, but. And now he said he always put he always said Steinfeld instead of Seinfeld. So here I am. Yeah, that brick face fella, um, <laughs> making just a ruckus for things. No, freaking uh, yeah, Bricktop. Uh, when Bricktop even meets up with uh, Soul and Vince and Tyrone, that's under pretty serious circumstances. But it is still weird that like the movie actually ties together a lot more around a carton of milk. Yeah. Than it does uh, these guys knocking over or attempting to knock over um, uh, Bricktop's yeah Bricktop's bookie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
we we obviously are not trying to give away an, an entire movie. Like that's why we're not kind of going into some of the events that lead up to this point. Oh yeah. Yeah, because it, it just it's 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 going to ruin way too much for for you if mm-hmm. you want to actually see this and you haven't yet. Maybe you've seen it on Netflix and you're like, "Yeah, I skipped over that. I haven't seen it yet." Right? We we obviously want you to go see it. But yeah. This movie ties together really well. And one of the questions I've always asked, Joe, because the movie, like you've mentioned, it ends where it begins. Mm-hmm. Very similar to some of these Tarantino movies, you know, very similar to some Christopher Nolan movies, too, that take that let's start at the end and come back. The question I have for you, based on that and how the movie kind of begins and ends very similar way, mm-hmm. do we think Snatch has the capability to become another story? Like, does Snatch happen again once oh, we yeah. see the stories unfold? Do you think it does? Do you yeah. Think, yeah. I, I think it does. Like, 100%, there's more, more can happen in this movie um, after where we were with this movie, where the movie ends. So, like, again, it ends with um, Turkish and Tommy um, sitting in front of the head, Doug the head, and you got back again the dialogue of Turkish saying, What do I know about diamonds? I'm just some fight promoter. And you're like, well, we just saw everything that unfolded until that point. The diamond's still in play, and a lot of the characters are very much still in play. So there could definitely, there could have been a snatch, too, if he really wanted it to be. Uh, or if, if Guy Ritchie really wanted it to be. But I, I, I could see him as someone who probably never really wanted a sequel. <laughs> it's just kind of the, sometimes from, from like the artist standpoint, it's just a lot more fun to see where, like, the audience's head can can run from there because absolutely we could have had a second we could have had a whole second movie from that point forward and i mean i would have watched it but <laughs> yeah i mm-hmm. i i think I, I probably would have too because i really did enjoy the the world that he built with was essentially about 15 characters mm-hmm. and all of these characters had enough time to be fully developed in a meaningful way, you get to learn enough about each one and they don't waste any time really in between that. So I do think that even though this movie got hit by critics, you know, quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, if you look at the ratings on a lot of these aggregate websites, even they aren't very nice to it. You know, occasionally you see one that's like, okay, 75, 80%. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people were rough on this movie. And I mean, it made back eight times what it cost to make. So clearly some people saw, <laughs> yeah, they saw the entertainment value in it. And frankly, I, I will forever see this movie as a hidden gem just because mm-hmm. of that fact. It didn't have like a massive, you know, uh, Hollywood backed following or anything. It's, mm-hmm. it's definitely to me feels like a passion project. I don't know if you feel the same way though. Oh, completely. Like, this just seems like a movie that was made because someone really wanted to make this movie. And, I mean, even, like, the whole idea that Brad Pitt, like, just wanted to be it because he wanted to hang out with Guy Ritchie. I mean, this is, like, honestly, this is Batman and Robin gone right, whereas George Clooney was just willing to help out a friend. This is like, no, this guy's my friend. I want to hang out with him. And they're in a movie, and now I'm going to be in his movie. Like, it just it, it felt like it'd be fun to make. It felt like it would be fun to be a part of. And it was fun to watch. And I think sometimes 
like, of course, like when you go to a movie, you have to suspend belief to some varying degree, no matter what movie you're going to watch, you've got to let some of it go. And I think in this case, suspending belief doesn't really have to go for anything that happens in the movie itself. It's just, you have to suspend the fact that you've seen a guy Ritchie movie before. Yeah. So you're not like, Oh my God, it's just the same thing all over again. Because I mean, like, I don't know, there are people who make sequels and we're not mad that we basically do the same story twice in a row because it's the same thing. Like you have to whittle the hero down. So they rise back up and then they'll, the movie will feel very similar. Like it did to the first one. And we don't get mad about it all the time. We do sometimes. We particularly hate the sequel. But I think it's the same thing with this one. It's like, okay, if you enjoyed Blackstock and Two Smoking Barrels, I think you're going to have fun watching this movie. As long as you're not like so, I don't know, in the mood to be a film critic at the time to the point where you can't enjoy it because it feels too similar to a movie that was done before by the same director. And I think as a, a movie that has that crime gangster vibe to it, mm-hmm. this movie is very careful to not give you too much comedy at one point. It doesn't give you too much seriousness either at certain points. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there are some areas where like they, you can't get away from it. But it's yeah. never too much for you to handle in in that moment because the stakes make sense for things that occur. And so overall, I think it's a very well-paced movie, which some people disagreed mm-hmm. with. I mean, I, I think the pacing of this movie is fantastic. And yeah. once again, we've mentioned there's like no real wasted scenes. Mm-hmm. But as a balancing act with the comedy, though, one thing that I think helps this movie is if somebody does die, it's always off screen, which once yeah. again helps kind of keep it comedic because you never truly have mm-hmm. to face the, the true consequence of what's going down in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that's where you kind of have the, the belief aspect of it is kind of there, where it's like, but this is still a comedic film, therefore the mm-hmm. the off screen deaths I think kind of helped you, uh, reinforce that. They belief. work. I think they really yeah. do. And again, uh, to comment on the pacing of the movie, one I think every scene builds on to the existing plot, like everything. Like I don't like. I feel like if he cut scenes out of this movie. They must have been really, really difficult to do because, like, what's what's there? Like, I definitely wouldn't cut anything out of this movie from the point where it is right now. There's, like, no point where I could be like, well, like, there's, like, five minutes we didn't really need this movie or, heaven forbid, like, 30 minutes we didn't need this movie. And part of what really does help that is the comedy because they're at, at the root of this thing, there's a pretty serious story going on. There are a lot of stakes going on given the players that are involved. And honestly, like some of the players are kind of legitimately scary when you really look at them. So having like those quips here and there or like saying something at the start of the movie that felt like it may have been something to throw away and suddenly it comes back more towards the end, like that sort of like those sort of things add a levity that's needed so it doesn't feel like it's intense the whole time. So I think like the pacing for this was brilliant. There wasn't like some like in like a movie where like you need to have some downtime where the characters are going to reveal something about themselves or they start to really realize what why they're doing what the why why they're doing what it is that they're doing for the sake of the plot, and you don't get that in this movie. Instead, you get caught and helps slow things down. Not in the sense that it's going to make you think, but in the sense where you don't have to think because you get to laugh. And then you do get to come back to the greater plot of the movie. 
Absolutely. And as opposed to the film itself, starting at the, the end and bringing you back there, our end is much more deliberate. And with that, we do thank you for listening to Digital Dissection. And as always, we do appreciate all that the Dissection crew does for us week after week. And we do actually want to do a special thank you this week because this was actually the most listened to week of our show uh, before we recorded this one. So we really do uh, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We we still can't believe that this is where we are in season two, Joe. It's just, it's just nuts to think that, that folks want to spend their time with us. And so we really do thank you for that as we explore pop culture one episode at a time. If you did happen upon this show by accident, however, please drop us a review, comment on the show, let us know what you think. And as always, the doors are always open at digital dissection podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us a message, maybe an idea for a future show, or maybe your thoughts on diamonds. We're, we're open to, to really any of it. So feel free to discuss there if you'd like. Hey, here's another show. Your body's hot. You're going to die if you want it. Was that until next time? Keep on dissecting. I, I can't tell based on your your traveler voice. Yeah, 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 yeah keep on dissecting. <laughs> you cut off all you want.